This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. So I normally ask people to introduce themselves, say who they are and what they do. So that might be a good starting point. Okay. Hi, Ellis. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, my name is Madi Wieland Solomon. And right now I'm an independent consultant and contractor specializing in corporate taxonomy, metadata modeling, thesauri construction, and data modeling. And Rahel Bailey put a team together earlier in the year, and we were both part of that for working for a large company on solving some of their content issues. So we've worked together in the past, and I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get you on the podcast and share your expertise on taxonomy and metadata and the like. I suppose a good starting point would be the definitions of words and what they mean. Mm. Metadata and taxonomy. Maybe if we started with metadata, what is metadata? That's right. It's a good question. Mm. What is it? We talk about it, but what is it exactly? Metadata is, and its shortest definition is data about the data. Now, everything seems to have data nowadays, and you can get spreadsheets of lots of different numbers and terms. But if you don't know what they represent, you don't know what that data is. And that's where metadata comes in. Metadata lets you know what these numbers and terms are relating to. Let's take an example. If you look at your driver's license, Mm -hmm. you'll see that there is metadata about you in the license. So there will be your name your birthplace, there'll be a date associated with the birthplace, there'll be another date that's associated with when you received your license, and there'll be an address, and that's where you live. All of that is is a metadata model. Your name, your birthplace, your birth date, when you got your license, and where you live. All metadata. So that's the model for a license. And when you go into larger, more complicated global corporations, like the ones that we were working with, there's an enormous amount of metadata. Yes, in their situation, they had lots of different departments or systems where they were using different words or different ways to describe the same thing. And then there were challenges in trying to have a consistent message to the end users and share data information between different systems. Taxonomy, if metadata is describing the object and its data about data, what is a taxonomy? A taxonomy are terms, mostly terms, that are in some kind of a structure. It's typically hierarchical, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. Taxonomy can be used in a lot of sort of loose ways. A very long authority list, for example, can be called a taxonomy. And The symbiotic relationship between metadata and taxonomy is that metadata offers the structure and asks the question, what color is your hair? Might be a metadata question, hair color. And the taxonomy would provide you a pick list, as it were, where you can pick a controlled vocabulary to describe your hair. And it could be brown, black, blonde, blue, green, yellow, purple. And that structure is the taxonomy. So a taxonomy is the options to pick for the way in which you describe something. You also mentioned hierarchy. Is it also talking about the relationships between different bits of data that are there, like your 
family name and your first name are parts of what you're called or is, is that managed or dealt with sort of relationship and linking side of things or the child and the, the parent? Is that that part of taxonomy or is that dealt with differently? It is. Uh, taxonomy can get complicated once you start down that rabbit hole, uh, which keeps people like me intensely interested. So the basic taxonomy can have a hierarchy, and that in itself is a relationship. There's a parent and child relationship. A taxonomy can also evolve into a thesaurus, where you can begin to have relationships on a term level. This term is synonymous with that term. This term is a part of a grouping that belongs to this heading. Once you get past those basic relationships, there are other relationships that you can begin making, that this product is related to this group of products. And now we go into the world of ontologies. And ontologies is a kind of markup language that is sort of rudimentary artificial intelligence, where we can begin to say this artist Perhaps this name of this artist made the names of all of these different paintings and sculptures, lives in this small village in Italy, and we can start making relationships to give a full sort of metadata view of one thing, which could be a product or a person or a place. And this is where you see that coming into play in sites like eBay and Amazon, where they're making recommendations based on what you're looking for. Exactly. You type in one phrase and it guides you to a product or collection of products which isn't necessarily described with the words that you typed in but are about what you're actually looking for. If you want to go all the way up to what data companies like Facebook or Google or Amazon are doing Mm. is that once you start to build those relationships, you are talking about an enormous amount of data. And once those relationships begin to happen at a computer level, the computer can actually begin to find patterns within it, find patterns that humans certainly couldn't by the vast amount of data which is why they can make recommendations. And we all know now that we're in a world where Facebook knows us better than we know ourselves, just by our behaviors and by what we like and what we do online. And our behavior is probably similar to another group of people that they can target advertisements for, et cetera. So while we start from something very basic, like a pull-down list of an authority list, to the hierarchical uh, structure of a taxonomy, to the relationships within an ontology, and then we jump to big data where there are multiple ontologies and a computer can actually start to see patterns that we certainly couldn't. So what problems are taxonomy, metadata, ontology, big data solving within a problem? Why are they important to organizations? I think the project that we worked on, Ellis, is a very good example where there was a large company that was fairly flat. They had multiple business units that were serving up financial information, and they had multiple databases that were siloed. And each one of those databases had their own way of describing the information that was in their database. So they had different metadata models. They had a lot of similar ones, too, because they were in in the same division, so to speak. But at the same time, they also had very unique dialects. 
So they were speaking the same language, but they had subtle differences in the way they described it, even though we saw that they were describing the same thing. But because each of the databases were constructed and built and managed at a different time, they all sort of didn't really speak to each other and were individualistic. Now, a lot of companies have that problem. And a lot of companies are resistant to have one giant database that has everything the company could possibly need. And I think you and I both as consultants would probably not recommend doing that into a giant centralized database. So the solution for that is to build a taxonomy and a third-party platform. Now, why? Why would you want to do that? Wouldn't you just be building another silo? Well, the taxonomy is just about the terms that are describing what's in a database. And it can do that with multiple databases because it doesn't have any content. It's just the descriptors. And so once you have this taxonomy, you can say in this database, they call this product by this name. And in that other database, they call that same product with a code. Now, instead of having to ask each of those databases to change their names, we integrate the terms into a taxonomy, and then we can say this term is synonymous with this term. Not only that, we can say, actually, of these very different ways of expressing this one product, we're going to choose one that we like the most, and we'll call that the preferred term for this product. And yet, you, all these other terms are synonymous with that. And so the taxonomy not only begins to bridge the different dialects of the same products in different databases, it also begins to educate the company about unifying the way that they describe their products or processes. So it's in some ways acting like a switchboard, connecting two different systems together, a bit like an API, I suppose, in some ways, of having two computer systems sharing data in that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's a really good analogy. Good. It just came to me. (laughs) It's really good. So in the project we dealt with, there was also one of the things that was driving it was was personalized content. And they wanted to make the information more specific to the platform and the experience of the end users and which modules they were using and, and the like. I know that you've had a background in publishing and working in museums and the like. In, a, in addition to that sort of sharing across systems, were there any extra reasons for creating a taxonomy in those companies? Or was it still the same? Oh, same. Well, each company has their own personality and what they want to do, but there are similarities across all of them. And mm-hmm. you mentioned that this particular company was interested in targeting or personalizing information to a customer based on what they know about that customer. So rather than putting the onus on the customer to try to find the things that are relevant to them, they'll be able to give them a head start. And that's the way Amazon works too. If you bought this product, there are other people who brought this similar product, and we think that you might be interested in it. When I worked at the Walt Disney Company, they have the best customer service ever for their parks and recs, for all of their Disneyland and Disney World parks. You can have a single phone call and they have an entire, talk about a customer relation management system Mm -hmm. that knows everything about your family. They know how old your children are. They know where you went last. They know what your children like. 
And it's not that they spy on you, but, you know, the Disneyland parks are a very contained space. So whenever someone would call on a telephone, that representative would be able to bring up that name up on the screen and say, oh, hello, Mrs. Smith. It's nice to hear from you. It looks like it's time to schedule your next, uh, you know, Disneyland or Disney World in Florida vacation. Mm-hmm. Now, and they'll know, and little Johnny has turned 12. What's he into this year? And she'll say, oh, he loves pirates. <laughs> so they'll go, that's great. Well, let's put you in a pirate-themed room this year. Mm-hmm. And will you be bringing your parents like you did last year? And they'll go, well, yes, we will. Well, let's put them in so you can see how that information can cater specifically and make your customers feel like they're being looked after in a way that few companies can. And I think that is probably one of the touchstones of the success of what Disneyland offers. That's interesting. So we've mentioned Walt Disney, we've mentioned Amazon, we've mentioned Google. These are all very large companies. So is the issue of worrying about taxonomy or metadata and ontologies and getting benefits from them, just something that's really only there for large companies? Or is it an issue for small and medium companies as well? I think it's applicable to any company that's using data, which means every company. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter how big or small. Now, I have a small music shop and I don't have a taxonomy. (laughs) It's pretty limited. We don't need to have a third party. We can pretty much just deal with the drop downs that we sort of hand install. So that's fine. But on the other hand, having controlled vocabularies is important for any company so that every Everyone is unified in the way that they describe something. And the reason why that's important is we also want to make sure that not only does a company or even the small business or organization know what they're talking about, they can educate their customers to know what to search on. For instance, even in my small business, people want to know what is that large violin? Mm-hmm. And we'll say, well, that's actually not a large violin. If you had to think of it that way, it's actually a small cello. And that's called a viola. <laughs> it's a viola, right? And so at that moment, they go, oh, right, I've heard of violas. That's a viola. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sharing a controlled vocabulary with my customers. What's the difference between a violin, a viola, and a cello? Those are controlled vocabularies. So yes, I think it's applicable, even though we may not consciously say, well, we need to build a taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that taxonomy would be bowed instruments. And under bowed instruments, we have violin, violas, and cellos. But it's still sort of implicit in a way. I remember you sparking things in my mind that recall that there's a style of music called Northern Soul. And Ooh, I love it. Well, what happened was, was that it was hard to find 1960s soul songs that had never been hits, which became very popular in Wigan and Blackpool and Stoke and places like that. And people would, from the north, would come down to London to football events and they'd go to the soul shops to look for records to take back up. And they would ask for certain songs and certain stuff. And there was a a shop in Soho called Groove, I think Groove Records. And they just classified it as Northern Soul because it was songs that only people that were coming from Wigan and Manchester and the like were asking for, not the type of songs that were playing in the south of England. And that sort of oh, let's just give it a name and put all those songs together in a category became the generic term 
that is now known as Northern Soul and as a style of music that's popular in Japan and and around the world and comes and goes in popularity over time. And it was just one of those things of, oh, a group of people asking for a style of music, we better give it a name. And and they're from the north, we call it Northern Soul. And it's just, and that's why it's called that. Anyway, that's an aside. That's a perfect example. A perfect example of also taxonomies are actually born out of the community that is using it. If those people had come into that record store and the shop owner said, oh, well, we've decided to call it that special category that nobody likes over there in the corner, that wouldn't help anybody, right? It wouldn't make them feel good. It wouldn't make them feel looked after in the same way or even the caliber of the Walt Disney Company. So it's more than just allowing people to find your products. I think we've evolved from that in the 21st century. But to honor and make our customers feel good when they buy something from us, to make them feel important so that they'll come back. So we've talked about why you would do it and what the elements are in terms of a company saying, right, we do have this problem. We do need to solve it. How do they develop a strategy? What do they need to do? Where should they start? What things should they consider? Those sort of questions. Well, usually what happens, and this is a sort of a typical scenario, is that as an organization or a company evolves, they find that they have a digital asset management system or uh, some kind of a management system that just continues to proliferate data. And then after a while, because there's so much data, they're finding that they're lost within it. And then when they take a look under the hood, they'll discover that their metadata is a mess or there aren't any rules, or there has not been any sort of governance put in there. And so what you have is uh, people naming things the way that they want to at that very moment. I have gone into some organizations that have used volunteers to add metadata to their digital assets. And I can tell you just by looking at how the metadata and the keywords were, were put in there, that it involved a sort of a a Rorschach test of personal characteristics. It revealed more about the tagger than about the digital asset. Some would have keywords that would look into the mood of the digital asset. It's blue, depressing, sad, or it's actually, it's just the color blue. And once that happens, you have a mess Hmm. and you can't find anything because everyone's describing it in a subjective manner, not to say that metadata is subjective, but that subjectiveness should come from the user's perspective, not from the taggers. And usually when that happens, then they realize, oh, what a mess. How can we clean this up? How can we you know, get rid of this or get rid of that? And then finally, that's a really good idea to do a, a Marie Kondo right. and look at it as, as you, it's time to clean up. And if it doesn't take you to an asset that is usable, Mm-hmm. then maybe it's time to get rid of that term altogether and maybe get rid of that asset if you don't know the rights of it, that sort of thing. So I should say for those that aren't familiar, Marie Kondo <laughs> had a TV series on Netflix on uh, she's a Japanese lady living in the States coming in and helping people who are overwhelmed with so much clutter in their houses in particular, clothing and books and stuff in their kitchens. And uh, she helps them get away from being overwhelmed and sort out their clutter and sort out their lives. Um, And it's a very compelling 
TV and I think it does appeal to people that are involved with managing and writing content because it's it's very it's it's very similar to the sort of issues that can can happen now in that environment. Yes, yeah. Sparking joy and um, <laughs> organising from a organisational perspective and their content perspective. Is there any one place to start in terms of getting that consistency in place? There is, but it depends on the house, so to speak. So I would always say it's always good to get a professional to take a look. There are lots of different content managers and taxonomists and data specialists out there that they could come and open your closet, take a look at what's in there, and then give you some first steps of what needs to be done. Usually when um, I'm asked to do that and I go into companies and I and I talk to them, I don't really need to tell them about their closet. Usually I listen to them and they'll tell me their heartache. <laughs> And once I listen to their heartache, then I'll ask them, well, what do you want in your ideal world? And they'll describe it to me. Once they describe it to me, then that's the first step. That will give me and them the first step of how to attack and clean this database. A lot of times you don't really want to change the database so much. You just sort of want to minimize it a little bit. And bringing in a third-party sort of intermediary platform that uses taxonomies is always a good solution because it's fairly inexpensive. You don't have to redo things. And then you can start linking different terms and using that to make your first pass. So getting an expert in, part of that then is from what you say, the process of project management and change management and making yeah. change happen just by controlling the amount of change that's that's going on what about the other side of it in terms of bringing in pre-existing standards or policies or pre-existing vocabularies does that happen how often does that happen is there often a sort of ready-made solution that an expert can bring in or is, is it less of that Oh, I think that's the right way to go. I think you're better off adopting standards that already exist. And there's so many. There are so many professional organizations that have put an enormous amount of thought and with a proper taxonomist have put together taxonomies that are free to use. And I think that's the way to go. If those taxonomies tend to be too large, then you can sort of truncate them if you want to. You can sort of uh, eliminate the nodes that you don't need in your company. But it's always good to start with a standard always so when we were working on that the project earlier in the year i think one of, one of the standards or approaches you recommended was i think it was called pico yeah pico yes this was in response to their interest in developing and expanding their customer relation relationships the pico is not a financial or even a metadata standard it's a data standard geared towards the medical professions And PICO stands for P is for patient, I is for information, C is for, I think, uh, like an adjustment or, uh, I forget. Calibration. Kind of, yes, exactly. Calibration or an adjustment. And then O is for the outcome. Yeah. So in the medical field, I mean, it's a beautiful, simple ontology. You have the patient who has a problem. You have the information about that patient, and then you give them an intervention. That intervention is a treatment, it is drugs, it is whatever that doctor uh, 
decides to sort of try to do to alleviate whatever the symptoms that the, the patient has. The C is where you get to take a look at what happened. Mm-hmm. Did the treatment work? Were the drugs useful? Do they have too much of this? And what sort of adjustments do you have to make? And so that's for the C. And then for the O is finally, when you get to the outcome where the patient is stabilized, whatever has been cured, et cetera. But that same principle can be used for a customer. So you can have a person. It doesn't have to be a patient. It could be you have this customer as a person. The information that you know is here. The interventions that you're going to make to give them this information, you can make some rules about that in your database. And then there will always be that time where you have to constantly go back and adjust any sort of things that you have. Are they getting the right information? Are they getting it in the right order? You can say that this person actually likes to get this information first thing in the morning. So make a rule that that comes up first when they come onto your platform. And then constantly check with them. And hopefully by the time you get the outcome, it's a positive one. You also mentioned tools and technology, what you said a little bit earlier. What does having a technology solution for metadata bring help an organization do? And are there any particular tools that people should consider? Or is that jumping in too early into things? Well, there's a lot of tools and technology has has evolved to have some very sophisticated tools. Now, there aren't any metadata tools. Metadata is in your system. That's in your database. You create the metadata model that you want in your database. And that's been going on for a while and, and that's been working. It is the taxonomy tools that have really evolved lately. And there's a lot of them. I particularly like taxonomy tools that are able to translate that hierarchy and terminology into sort of an ontological standard or sort of a linked data standard like SCOS. SCOS, Simple Knowledge Organization System, is from the the semantic web, and it can take a term and in the back end, it can express it in a way that a computer can read immediately without having an old-fashioned hierarchy. And most people really don't see it. Not everybody even needs to see it or even understand it. So there are tools that just automatically do that. And I would recommend, if you're in the market for a taxonomy tool, that you check with the software to see if they're capable of doing such a thing. So in terms of pitfalls, what shouldn't an organization do? One of the biggest pitfalls in taxonomy is that an organization will decide that they need one without knowing what it is. It seems to be what people are talking about and our CEOs or CIOs go out to have drinks and someone says they're building a taxonomy. It'll pique their interest into thinking, well, I think we need one too. And you may not always. The other pitfall is that you get the green light to go ahead and and build a taxonomy Mm -hmm. and everyone begins to build one. And I've been to organizations where there is a proliferation of taxonomies. One organization had over 25 taxonomies uh, because each of the business divisions were so eager. And that's actually, that's a good thing because if you have eager employees and they embrace new things and they run with it. However, a beautiful taxonomy is useless if it's not linked, integrated, or attached to assets that can be used. 
Mm. A standalone taxonomy, no matter how beautiful, is absolutely useless. And that's the biggest pitfall, I think, that people can fall into if they don't know what they're doing. And in terms of a project to do this and identifying roles and responsibilities to get this to happen, what sort of roles should be created either on a temporary basis or a permanent basis to get this done? Well, I think the most important thing when we talk about metadata, data, taxonomy, and developing those in order to be able to clean up your database, introduce controlled vocabularies on a, on a uh, enterprise level, is the first is to get a corporate sponsor or some kind of a business sponsor. I think while those that are the boots on the ground and the people who work with the assets realize that they need help and they want to be able to fix it is good. Uh, They know what they're doing. They're the ones who use it. So they know where all the pain points are. However, if you don't have an executive sponsor who can back you up, you'll have a probably a, a higher likelihood of failure. Why is that? Because once you go into the back end and start looking at all of your data and the assets that are attached to it, it always inevitably becomes a bigger problem than you initially thought. And it's no different from going into your garage and deciding, yes, this spring, I'm going to clean this up. And once you get started, you uncover boxes way in the back that have been destroyed by mold, (laughs) using this as a metaphor. And before you know it, you know, you are knee deep and you can sort of lose hope. And without that executive sponsor saying, yes, this is a project that we're all doing, it's better for the company and that we can continually communicate the progress that would be part of the change management because once you do a taxonomy project what you're also trying to do is unify behaviors within a company so while you're building the taxonomy you're also asking all of the business units to pay attention to what they're doing in their own databases and that executive sponsor should be there to also bring a little authority because resistance is inevitable. There will always be one room in the house that says, we don't need no stinking standards. We're fine with the way we're doing it. But it's the executive sponsor who could ask the question of, well, then show me how many assets you have, how they're being used, how they're relating to the other kinds of information within this company that would bolster that information. How are you integrating it with the customer so that you can start targeting campaigns toward them? And if their answer is, well, we don't, we just do it the way we do it. Hmm. It's going to take an executive to say, well, I think we need to start becoming part of a larger organization and let's bring that silo in a place where it's an organized, unified way of doing business. I think another issue is people complain that it takes too much time to add, say, tagging or or other ways of marking up information or using a structured language to get content done. It changes the way they do things and they they find that cumbersome. Yes, indeed. Would you say there was a need for somebody to be like a metadata lead that was a person at the top that said, no, you must have this or or that? Or can it be a little bit looser in terms of giving people freedoms to do things how they want? Does there need to be a sort of person with ultimate responsibility? 
Well, I mean, it depends. I think it depends on the the kind of organization and the kind of products. I'm working at a museum right now, and they are consolidating two different databases, and they're completely different, and they need to stay different. One of them is, for example, a collections management system. And in this collections management system, they have a record of every object in the museum. And the metadata that is populated by scholars, by archaeologists, by curators. These are highly trained people who do an enormous amount of very detailed research on these objects, because that's their job, is to preserve the information as well as the object itself. Now, any museum is not just limited to that. There's another database that has pictures of visitors, of uh, families coming to the museum that they use on social media. They use it for advertising, for marketing, for PR. And it's not that precious. There's no real scholarly information that comes from that. You do need someone who knows what they're looking at. But if you're serving up marketing, they have a whole different way of describing assets that they want to use quickly. They would say, I need a family. I need a family with diversity looking up at a painting in awe, (laughs) say. Or I need a picture of someone who is doing a lecture at a school dressed as a suffragette. So I'm sort of consolidating these two very different approaches and respecting each of these different approaches. So without mucking either one of them up. And so as you move forward, it's actually the organization that will inform the way that you need to sort of express the way to consolidate large organizations. So when you've got a project like that, do you tackle the changes by going to the ultimate goal straight away? Or is this something that can be done where you do one sort of level of metadata and then you let that bed in and then you revisit it and add an extra level of metadata to create more refined, granular information? Is this something where you ideally do it right first time or it makes sense to to do it in, in stages and at different levels? I always love the different stages and levels. I really like the agile way of working, Mm -hmm. where you try to stand up a minimal viable product as soon as possible, Mm -hmm. so that rather than explain what a taxonomy and what a metadata can do, you show. And show them quickly so that they can understand it. Because, you know, even talking, I can't believe we've been talking, oh, what, half an hour or 40 minutes about Mm -hmm. this, which is far longer than most people even are interested in talking about this subject. Their their eyes glaze over. It's not the most exciting thing. And explaining it is actually very difficult. Hmm. But once you show them in a database, um, even one that you just put together quickly, is an enormous help. So I always start with a minimum viable product. I start out with a minimum viable metadata. And I begin to develop it there. And I show the uh, the clients immediately what that might look like. It doesn't take long for them to begin to understand what's happening once you show them. And then we'll take it to the next level and the next level. And then before, and then we'll stop eventually. I mean, having a huge metadata model is not recommended. 
I think less is more when it comes to describing things. And the way that computers work now is that they are able to make inferences in the same way that humans are able to make inferences if this, ergo that. So you don't have to explain everything explicitly. Sometimes the structure will help give you a context. You can sort of implicitly reference what kind of a world you're in just by the structure. So I do that slowly over time. You said that it's a subject that people find boring. Yeah, it's one of the fundamental ways in which organizations succeed these days. Amazon and eBay are based on essentially taxonomies. And the, the company that we were dealing with, which is billions and billions in revenue, for them to get a competitive edge against their other major competitors, they can improve the usability of the products and they can add a few more functions. But really, their battle is going to be over what they have already and, and making more use of it and that understanding of the users, knowing when to guide them to the right information or intervene that's going to make them succeed or fail. It might seem a bit dry, but it's big and complicated in some ways or fundamental issue. Oh, goodness, yes. And companies have far surpassed and really utilized the sophisticated way of of using data, and they're vastly uh, successful. I mean, we've already talked about the companies that rule the world right now, and they're all information and data-based. Netflix is a great example. Whenever I, when I go into a company and they'll go, oh, we just don't have time to fill in this metadata. My goodness, you know, we're we're in a hurry and this is done. I'll remind them that Netflix has over 360 metadata elements. Hmm. Can you imagine? And they employ a lot of people all across the United States, particularly, to add that metadata to those assets. And the reason why they do that is they're able to determine what kind of movies you like, when, and where. And so when people complain about having to fill in four to five elements, I I kind of remind them it could be far far worse. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you don't have to be a taxonomist. Do you know? Not everyone is going to be a taxonomist. So I don't want to burden anybody listening to your podcast that are in content strategy or in data strategy feeling like they have to learn how to be a taxonomist. They don't. You just need to know and recognize where it fits in in the overall, I think, uh, environment. A lot of what we do is taking messes and creating a structure for from a navigation perspective. Uh, so, for example, if you're talking about API documentation, you might put mm. stuff about what does this thing do in one section and then how do I sign up into another section and the like. And although that content may not be have any metadata to actually say this is a tutorial or this is um, an overview piece of information, what we're doing is moving it into categories so that it's following a journey, the customer journey and making it easier for the end user to understand and, and answer all the questions that they have. Uh, a more sophisticated level, then there would be that, that that data, metadata added to it so that it could be automated. And as new information gets added, it automatically gets moved to the sections. 
But I think there's exactly. a, a sort of maturity model aspect of things of starting with things that are essentially manual and then moving through so things can be done on a more automated basis. Yes, and you have to make sure that your data is clean in order to have those sort of relationships uh, sort of spark on their own. So having a good sound foundation is incredibly important. Mm. So if people want to contact you, if they have a project or if they want to ask more questions, what's the, is it via Twitter? Is it by email, uh, LinkedIn? How's the best way to contact you? Well, I'm, the easiest probably is LinkedIn. I'm not on Twitter. I sort of uh, cut back on uh, my social media, and, and I'm happy for it, by the way. Uh, but LinkedIn, I'm right there, and you, you can certainly send me a, a message through that. And I'm sure that my email is somewhere around there as well. So Maddie is M-A-D-I. Uh, Solomon is as it's normally spelled. Are you Maddie Solomon or Maddie Boylan Solomon on LinkedIn? I think I'm Maddie Wheeland Solomon. And how do you spell Wheeland then? W-E-L-A-N-D. Right. Lovely. Thanks for having me, Ellis. It's always good to chat with you. And yes, lovely to chat to you as well. And I hope this sparks interest in people because it is a pretty fundamental challenge for the future. Thanks, Ellis.